Okay, I'm Danielle McCartan with John Flaherty, Yankees catcher. That's how I, I always remember you. Red Sox, Rays too, and uh, his other team. Well, you got the Tigers in there, the, the Padres. Padres, that's yeah. Right. And uh, we're here in Portland, New York um, for a fundraiser for yeah. baseball and uh, at Brew House, at the Brew House. So I wanted to first talk, uh, you played, this is a fan question from my cousin, and he's a Rays fan. And he wanted to know, he wanted me to ask you about playing in the inaugural game as a Devil Ray okay. at the time. And what was that like for you? Well, it was incredibly exciting. You know, I got to trade it from the Padres to Tampa Bay, and I remember my agent saying, you know, the community's going to blow up for this team, and there was so much excitement. And I remember running sprints before the uh, first game, and the stadium's packed, you know, and it was early. It was about a half hour before the game. Everybody was excited. Uh, Wilson Alvarez threw ball one. Um, you know, catching the ball and throwing it out, a part of history was really cool. We ended up losing the game. Uh, vividly remember that, but most importantly I remember coming out for the second game and the stadium was half full. And I remember thinking, it went from a sellout opening night to half full. Uh, this isn't a good sign and obviously uh, we had some lean years there. You know, we didn't win a whole lot of games, the fan support wasn't great and they're still struggling to, uh, to figure it out down there. Yeah, now he wanted to ask me to ask you to compare it to how they are now. I mean, I've been to Yankee games in Tampa. I think those might be the biggest draw that they of have course. down there. Yeah. And as a, as a Tampa Bay player, you know, when the Red Sox would come in, the Yankees would come in, everybody would say, well, you got to be annoyed that all these people are cheering for the other teams. And it wasn't that way. We had a full building. You know, it was exciting to have a crowd there. Um, the atmosphere down there is incredibly different with the organization. They're doing things the right way, you know, player development. Um, so I think that organizationally they're in a good spot, but uh, they need a new stadium. They need to get out of St. Pete. It's so dark and dreary, yeah. that stadium. Yeah. And also, I, I would say that the retired community in St. Petersburg, uh, they're living on fixed income, you know, so it's tough for them to get to the games. You bring it over to Tampa Bay, there's a little more money, it's a younger crowd, I yeah. think they would do better. Yeah. Um, now, what would you say, you know, you know, we'd be here all night talking about your career, but what would you say the crowning moment of your career was? Wow. Um, your most memorable moment? Something that sticks out. Yeah, I don't think I had just one. I mean, every kid dreams of what that first day in the big leagues is going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky enough that it happened in the old Yankee Stadium. I grew up in West Nyack, New York, and here I am being introduced in front of 56,000 people at the stadium that I watched games as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I'm still getting chills thinking about that. I mean, it was a, it was a perfect story. Uh, remember my first at bat, my first hit. You know, those individual moments were huge. But you know, coming and playing for the Yankees and playing in the postseason, playing in a World Series, losing a World Series, but that whole experience, um, there isn't really one moment. It's more like 14 years of hard work and determination and there are a lot of great memories in there. Speaking of memories, you're an old timer now. Yeah, no thank you. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> but, um, taking, look, taking a look at all the old timers <coughs> games, meeting all the older guys, yeah. what sticks out to you from that experience? Well, first of all, as a player, when you're, when you're an everyday player, the old timers are around all the time. Mm -hmm. So you get to know these guys. So when I was invited for the old timers day the first time, uh, I laughed. I didn't feel like I belonged there. I was a backup catcher to Jorge Posada. I shouldn't be playing in an old-timers game. Yeah. And I remember walking in that clubhouse at 8 o'clock in the morning and 
the old guys like embraced me. They were so happy to see me. Uh, they had a couple of uh, adult beverages flowing early in the morning. Yeah, and I was like, all right, I like these guys. It's going to be great. Um, so I, I make sure that I can make it every year because uh, I've kind of gotten away from that overwhelming feeling like I don't belong in this room with these people uh, because of what they've done in a baseball field, but they've made me feel so welcome. Now, we've seen it before with uh, Lyrits and Pettit, you and Randy Johnson. Yep. How does a, a relationship develop between a catcher, you know, you were his, his personal catcher. Yeah. How does that relationship develop? Well, that relationship was dictated by Joe Torre. Um, Jorge Posada and Randy didn't get along very well. Uh, Jorge was intimidated by Randy Johnson, and, and Joe Torre thought that, that we needed to make a change. He asked me to yell at Randy Johnson for nine innings every time I caught him. And I didn't get along well with Randy. Personality-wise, we weren't friendly. Uh, we didn't talk to each other in between starts. But when he took the mound, I would be on him for nine innings. And for some reason, it worked. So uh, it wasn't like we were good friends and got along. We were probably as far from friends as could be. Um, but the professional relationship during those three hours of the game worked for some reason. And Joe Torre recognized it and stuck with it. And a fan question from Lenny. Lenny. Wants, you know, you've met Lenny. Yeah. Um, he wants to know, did that ever cause any friction in the clubhouse, being a personal catcher? A great, great question from Lenny. Um, when Joe Torre came to me about Randy Johnson, the first person I went to was Jorge Posada and said, I don't want this to ru ruin our relationship because we got along really well. Right. And Jorge said, listen, I just want him to win. I want us to win whatever it takes. That eliminated all the problems. I was in Tampa Bay where Wilson Alvarez wanted to pitch to Mike DeFelice. Um, I had the same attitude, like, okay, just want to win the games, but it hurts. You know, you're, you're, I prided myself on working with a pitching staff, so to have a personality that didn't quite work, uh, it was an adjustment, but you find a way to try to win ballgames. All right, and then I had a, another question from my uncle Leo. <laughs> Uh, behind the plate, the same plate as Yogi Berra, Thurman Munson. Did you ever kind of just sit back and be like, wow? Yes, yes. I, I played at the old Yankee Stadium as a senior in high school in the Daily News All-Star Game. And I vividly remember sitting behind home plate thinking this is where Thurman Munson caught. And I was a big Thurman Munson fan as a kid. Um, I would, as a Yankee, would sit behind that plate and do the same thing. Like, I cannot believe I'm sitting here um, with all the great Yankees that have, that have sat behind this plate. Um, and I think there's something special about the legacy of the Yankee catchers. And Jorge Posada was great in how much he recognized it, how much it meant to him. Uh, how much it meant to me in a small way to be a part of that was pretty special. Now, Flash, where did that nickname come from? I couldn't find that anywhere. We're on camera, right? So I don't know if I can uh, oh, tell no. you. No. Um, Flash goes all the way back to 1988, my first day of minor league baseball, professional baseball. I drove up to Elmira in New York. I met a left-handed pitcher by the name of John Dolan. Um, and he, we introduced each other to ourselves, you know, ourselves to each other, mm -hmm. and he heard my last name and he asked me if I was related to a Timmy Flaherty who also went to Boston College. And I said that I wasn't, and he said, well, we used to call him Flash Flaherty because he would go out at night at the bars and at the parties and do some things that would get him the nickname Flash Flaherty. Oh, so <laughs> the next, I didn't think anything of it, the next day I go to a workout and he calls me Flash and that was 1988 and I cannot get rid of it. Oh no. Yeah. And that's the true original story of where Flash came from. Now, it seems to be like there's a lost art now. Like you don't see many guys with nicknames, you know, the like Catfish Hunter. Like yeah. I don't know. I just think that. Do you think there's a lost art in that? And if what is the best one that you've recently heard of? 
Well, I think you know part of the great thing about being part of any team, whether it's Little League, high school, college, professionally, uh, you get 25 guys and 25 different personalities, you're going to come up with a lot of strange conversations. And usually that's where a lot of those nicknames uh, came from. And a lot of times we can't tell you where they came from because they're, they're X-rated, or at least R-rated. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, then don't. This is a family show. <laughs> yes, here, we so. want to keep it clean. <laughs> now, MLB Hall of Fame Yankee Edition. I wanted to pick your brain as the analyst cap now. All right. We talked a little bit at the Yogi Berra Museum, but uh, Jorge Posada, you played with him, very tight relationship with him. Yep. He's just not a Hall of Famer. He's endeared here in New yep. York. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. What do you think? I'm totally on board with you. Um, I'm lucky enough now that I played against these guys who are going into the Hall of Fame, and I admit that I'm terrible with the statistics and how they rank against everybody else. My judgment for a Hall of Fame is I faced Randy or Roger Clemens, and I had no chance against Roger Clemens. That's a Hall of Famer to me. Randy Johnson, when I faced him, no chance. Pedro Martinez. Um, Jorge Posada was an unbelievably great player. Switch hitter, productive, what he did behind the plate. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I also don't think he should have been off the ballot in one year. I thought he should have gotten more than 5%. Um, and if you talk to Jorge, it doesn't matter to him. I mean, he, his legacy, what he's proud of is more his Yankee legacy. Uh, again, being that Yankee catcher and continuing that, that prideful experience. So I, I wish he would have had more years to be on the ballot because I think his case would have gotten stronger through the years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, Jeter's number being retired in May, what's the atmosphere of the stadium going to be like? I couldn't even get tickets to that game. <laughs> oh, we might have to help you out with that one then. So, uh, you know what? It, it's it's going to be fun because Derek is such a low-key guy that I'm sure he's going to be overwhelmed. I'm sure he's going to want to fly under the radar. But then again, I'm sure he's going to nail his speech like he always has and everything that he's ever done in the past. So I'm hoping that I'm working that day. You know, I was able yeah. to work Derek's 3,000 hit game. Um, was incredible. And I would just, I love working those games because you can sit in the booth and kind of take a seat back and just really digest it. And I'm looking more forward to what Derek is going to have to say because he always just seems to say it the perfect way. Now, I have an opinion about this. I want to get yours first. Are the Yankees too generous in retiring numbers? Because I think they have 22 out of the 100 are retired. Yeah. Um, yes, yes and no. I mean, and... It, when you bring that up, I think back to my first spring training and I'm walking into that clubhouse saying, what number are they going to give me? 89? Because you know of all these numbers that have been retired and they were nice enough to give me number 17. But then I think about what these Yankees have done, you know, the, this crew that's coming through and they deserve to have their numbers retired, you know, what they, all the championships and all the great moments that they've given the fans. So yes, maybe they're a little too generous, but I think they're rewarding guys who went through a pretty special time there in the late 90s. Yeah, I mean, the dynasty. Yeah, it's incredible. Now, will there ever be a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer? No, and there Not should even be. Derek Jeter. No, there should be. Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera. Um, yeah. And I, I say that because not that they don't deserve it, but there are going to be some old writers out there who are going to have to say, I'm not ever voting for somebody, you know, and that's just the way it is. And it's sad because um, I talked about the, you know, playing against guys. Jeter is a first ballot unanimous guy. Yeah. Mariano, the same thing. And it probably won't happen. I wish it would. I wish it would. It's a shame. Yeah. Well, writers of baseball writers of America. Although the, the writers are getting younger now. So we're starting to see that. a little, a little difference. So maybe it will change. Maybe. Yeah. So now the 2017 Yankees, as an analyst here, what are you going to be most looking forward to this spring with the young guys coming up? Yeah. Who maybe in particular? 
Well, obviously it's all about the young guys now. I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, Judge in right field to see if he's going to get a little bit better. Uh, he's such a hard worker and a great kid. I find myself pulling for him. Greg Bird, what's he going to look like after missing a whole year? Uh, he could be special, and, and he also could be a guy that's going to take some time to get his feet underneath him again. And then I think for myself, Gary Sanchez is the one I'm going to be paying most attention to in spring training. Um, not for what he did last year, but for how he's handled himself this offseason. Uh, we know that he's been all over the place signing autographs. He's getting all this attention, and rightfully so. As a young player, that's a lot to handle. So. I want to see if he's in shape. I want to see if he's working when I get down to Tampa. I'll be down there March 1st. Um, because I think it's very easy for him to take a step backwards, and I hope that doesn't happen. Now, Clint Frazier, speaking of working out, he's been working out. Yeah. The guy looks like a beast. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about Clint Frazier? <laughs> Especially well, well, the hair, even. Yeah, the hair. The, you know, the, the thing, it's such a different generation. Um, I'm going to say your generation, right? The, the social media and, and being able to get your opinion out there. And Clint has been very vocal and very out, out in front. My personality was always, let's lay back a little bit and let my play dictate what everybody thinks of me. Um, Clint's got to go to AAA and dominate. And Clint, if he gets his opportunity, should let his play be what everybody thinks about, not his social media presence. Um, that's my first impression. I've never met the man. I'm looking forward to seeing him in spring training. I hear he's incredibly talented. But as, a, as you put my analyst hat on, but I'm also going to go as a veteran player now. Veteran players don't like young guys who are out in your face. Listen, pay attention, and speak when you're spoken to and go out there and play hard. So I think he maybe needs a little old school lesson. Yeah, a little toned down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, now you're very proud of your Irish heritage. Yep. Inducted to the inaugural, what is it called, the, the starting nine. Starting nine. Of the Irish, Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes. Now, big names in that class, including yours. Yep. What was that like? Well, it was an incredible honor. You know, I, I have always been incredibly proud of my last name, um, where my grandparents came from, County Kerry in Ireland. Um, I had learned from a young age never to disappoint the name on the back of your jersey, the Flaherty name, and I, I, I paid attention to that. I still pay attention to it today. So when the Irish Baseball Hall of Fame puts you in their starting nine, uh, I was incredibly humbled, you know, and, and proud of it. And you know, when that plaque, I saw that plaque, and you see the name Flaherty, that, that kind of got me. That was pretty cool. That's yeah, cool, yeah. I'm McCartan, so. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> now, um, just real quickly, the evolution of baseball. You started in 92, we're in 2017 now. Do you think the game has evolved, and if so, for the better or for the worse? Meaning maybe replays, instant replays are now introduced, things like that. Oh, I think the game is in a better place now than it was, and, and I think that the players today are so much better than we were back when I came up in 92. Uh, nutrition, physical fitness, you know, the guys take care of themselves so much better than we did when I first came in. Um, you know, the, the game itself, I think, is evolving and trying to get the younger generation to, to still pay attention. Um, it's, there's a lot of downtime, you know, it's one of those games that you, you have to love and think along with. And I think uh, some of the young generation is missing out on that. But our com commissioner, Rob Manford, is doing a great job because he's so open-minded to changing and, and evolving. Um, and the core of the game is always going to be the same. But I think it's in a much better place now than when I first came in. Now, um, your coolest memory from the Yes booth, besides, you already mentioned Derek Jr.'s 3,000, besides that. Coolest memory. Um, 
probably my first day on the job. My boss, John Filippelli, I had no TV experience, uh, threw a microphone in my hand and said, go get them. Go, go interview Jeter, Posada, Johnny Damon was on that team. And I, I vividly remember I had to interview Derek Jeter after a game-winning hit on opening day in 2006. Live TV, had never done live TV before. I have a producer talking in my ear. I'm talking to Derek, and, and Derek and I are friends. And, you know, Derek's giving me a hard time, and I'm trying to stay focused and get it back up to the booth and completely butchered it. Um, but I'll never forget that day, and I'll never forget my first game in the booth with Jim Cott. And I had a big binder. I was, you know, an ex-catcher. I was prepared. I was ready. And he looked at my binder and said, get rid of that. He said, you and I, fittingly enough, we're in a bar here, but he's like, you and I are watching a game in a bar, having a beer, and we're going to talk baseball. And he said, all that research that you did, if it's important enough, you'll remember it. Yeah. And whenever I do a game now, I do my homework, I do my research, and I show up, and I have nothing in front of me except my scorebook because of Jim Cotton. I say, you know what, just watch the game and talk to my partner like you're having a beer in a bar and breaking down a baseball game. Pretty advice. simple, yeah, it was great advice. All right, so finally, if we can do a quick lightning round. Yeah. Not too long here, but all right, here we go. If so these are quick one. Quick, first thing that comes to mind. Oh boy. If you hadn't played baseball, what would you be doing? I'd be a police officer. Police officer, okay. Yep. Not your uh, political science degree, nothing with that? No, my, I'm, I'm a, I was a major in speech communications oh, really? and a minor in psychology. Okay. Yeah, and the only reason I was a speech comm major, I was incredibly shy and petrified of speaking in front of people. <laughs> and I said, if I can go to school and get over that fear, then that'll be a major accomplishment. It's turned into a broadcasting yeah, career, so it worked out. Okay, next thing, favorite TV show? Can't miss. Cosby. Who would be on your MLB Mount Rushmore? Four guys. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way you can do a quick one with that. Okay. Four guys. Uh, Posada would be on that list. Okay. Um, Tanyan Sturtz would be on that list. Paul Quantrell would be on that list. And a guy by the name of Mike Borzello, who is a bullpen catcher for the Yankees that nobody would know about. So that's my Mount Rushmore because those are the guys that I was close with. Um, had a lot of great times, a lot of great memories with, and, and still keep in touch with today. Are you a football guy? Uh, I, was, I was a Jet season ticket holder, and I smartened up a few years ago and I'm got rid of those. Too. Okay. Uh, yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> All right, so forget that one. Now, if you can catch any, catch any person, any pitcher, alive or in history, who would it be? Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox. Good answer. Okay, favorite song? Oh, boy. Um, Streets Have No Names by U2. Okay, and uh, final question, real quickly. Falcons or Patriots in the Super Bowl? Oh, Falcons, without a doubt. You mean you think they're going to win or you want them? No, I want them to win. I can't root for the Patriots. So I get, are uh, You're a Boston guy. No, I, I oh, well, played in Boston, Boston, but I don't have, I'm a Jet guy, too. Yeah. I've seen enough of the Patriots, so it's time for the Falcons to win this thing. <laughs> All right, and then I have one final fan question from Ryan Griffith on Twitter. Who was the hardest pitcher you ever had to catch and why? Wow. Um, well, there are two of them. Matt Young, who I caught my first game ever in the big leagues through a no-hitter and lost, believe it or not. Had an incredible arm, had no idea where the ball was going, so he was tough to catch. And then Mike Mussina, who was easy to catch, but was really tough to get inside of his head. You know, he would, uh, he would be on a different level with a game plan, and as a catcher, it got a little frustrating. Um, but once you got to that level with him, it was, it was incredibly easy. Cool. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. Yeah. From the Brew House in Pearl River, I'm Daniel McCartney. That's John Flaherty. Thanks.